0: Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham.
1: Thanks, Dan. And you're tuned into the Real Truth Matters podcast. And I'm so glad you're joining me today as we explore How to Maintain Fellowship with God. How can you walk with God in the way God intended an intimate relationship between the Lord and you? In our last few podcasts, we discuss what the Apostle John says in his first epistle about this subject. The entire epistle is given to the subject of knowing God personally, having fellowship with Him, and the Last podcast, we saw that John begins by telling us we need to be walking in the same direction as God and that confession of sin is vitally important in maintaining heavenly fellowship. Specifically, in our last episode, the Apostle John demonstrated that if we quickly and consistently confess our sins, meaning we agree with God and think and feel as He does about them, then the blood of Christ removes the stain of our sin. This leads us, then, to another question. This is the question I want to explore in this episode. The question is if we are already justified, meaning declared judicially right with God, and all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven us, why then does God require Confession of sin? And a second question Why does the blood of our Savior need to cleanse us of sin already pardoned? I want to begin my answer by quoting from one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he said It's quite certain that those whom Christ has washed in his precious blood need not make a confession of sin as culprits or criminals before God the Judge. For Christ has forever taken away all their sins in a legal sense so that they no longer stand where they can be condemned, but are once and for all accepted in the Beloved. But having become children and offending as children, aren't they not every day to go before their Heavenly Father and confess their sin and acknowledge their iniquity in that character? Nature teaches that it's the duty of erring children to make a confession to their earthly father, and the grace of God in the heart teaches us that we as Christians owe the same duty to our heavenly father. We daily offend and ought not to rest without daily pardon, for supposing that my trespasses against my father... Are not at once taken to Him to be washed away by the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus, what will be the consequence? If I have not sought forgiveness and been washed for these offenses against my Father, I shall feel at a distance from Him. I shall doubt His love to me. I shall tremble at Him. I shall be afraid to pray to Him. I shall grow like the prodigal who, although still a child, was yet far off from His Father. But if, with a child's sorrow at offending so gracious and loving a parent, I go to him and tell him all, and rest not till I realize that I am forgiven, then I shall feel a holy love to my Father, and shall go through my Christian career not only as saved, but as one enjoying present peace in God through Jesus Christ my Lord." There is a wide distinction between confessing sin as a culprit and confessing sin as a child. The Father's bosom is the place for penitent confessions. We've been cleansed once and for all, but our feet still need to be washed from the defilement of our daily walk as children of God. Well, it seems to me according to what Spurgeon is saying, that the confession of sin in the life of the believer is more for the believer than for God. Our legal standing with God is forever justified. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute his sin. Romans chapter 4 verse 8. The atoning death of our Lord was so powerful in scope as to atone not just my sins prior to my conversion, but all my sins. When you, the believer, sins, God doesn't account these to your record or guilt. God's already dealt with these by imputing them to our sin-bearer, Christ Jesus. He bore the guilt of all your sins and expunged them from your account. Oh, praise the Lord! Your relationship as a son or daughter of God cannot be changed. God sees you always in the garments of Christ's righteousness, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Therefore, when I sin, I'm still accepted in the Beloved. Is God displeased with me when I sin? Oh, yes for I have grieved him. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. I am sealed until the day of redemption, and there's no removing the seal. But I can very much grieve him who sealed me. Acknowledgement of sin is very important only from the standpoint that we demonstrate to God our remorsefulness and humility, and that we view our sin in part as He views it. Again, we need to remember that the word confession in First John 1, verse 9 does not mean an apology. Rather, it means to say the same thing as God. But even though I confess my sin or not, the biblical doctrine of justification by faith says that that sin is not imputed to me and I am not in jeopardy of the wrath of God. The sin has not only been atoned for, but also it's not accounted to me, it was accounted to Jesus. But the question remains, why the need for confession or forgiveness if the sin is not imputed to us? And the answer is in Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, the problem is not God's justice. It's your conscience. Justification seals your relationship and your standing with God forever righteous. That is forever settled in God's heart and mind. But what about your heart? What about your mind? It's true that you must forever remind yourself, preach to yourself about the beauty of the doctrine of justification, that that is a once-and-for-all settled proposition. However, Each time you sin, there's a soiling of your conscience. With every wicked act, there's a stinging of the conscience of your guilt before God. How will the conscience be cleansed and free of guilt? Even though Christ has suffered the guilt of your sin, your conscience continues to cry out against you that you are guilty. The writer of Hebrews says in the verses leading up to chapter 9, verse 14, that the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse the conscience. The sacrifices made the guilty ceremonially or externally clean, and therefore fitted them to be able to go to the temple and worship. But the sacrifices could not remove the guilt from their record or their consciences. Confession of sin for the believer is a means of claiming the same efficacious blood that removed our guilt before God to now remove the guilt from our consciences. And this gives you, the believer, the freedom to come to your heavenly Father with a pure heart and clean hands. The child of God knows in his heart that there's nothing between him and his Father— It is the conscience that will always be shouting, you can't fellowship with God. He's holy and you're not. You need to prove that you're truly sorry for your sin. You just can't enter back into his fellowship. And so the only way to answer that is with the blood. You see, you have to understand how the conscience works. God created the conscience to be an internal sense of right and wrong, good and bad. But like every part of our humanness, the conscience has been defiled, corrupted. It doesn't work as it was once designed to do. It either overworks and is hypersensitive or it underperforms and becomes seared or totally callous so it doesn't register wrongdoing, it doesn't announce warnings. If the conscience is not so terribly malfunctioned, It will register your sin, and it will sound the alarm that you have sinned. The conscience cannot decipher the atoning death of Christ and factor that into its equation. It just wasn't designed to do so. It was made by God to warn of sin or inform of good, to convict of sin and approve of righteousness. And that's it. That's its only capacity and function. So if you sin, it's going to sound the alarm and you're going to feel your guilt. And it's this guilt of conscience that can either aid or kill fellowship with God. Let's use the example of a son. Why is a father's smile and delight gone when his son disobeys him? It's because... The son has not accepted the father's view of what is disobedient. He's violated his father's concept of obedience and disrespected his father's wisdom and authority. But when the son confesses his disobedience, ah, the father knows that now his son agrees with him and full fellowship is renewed. Confession is another way of simply walking in the light As God is in the light, it's acknowledging the truth in the very same way God does, and thus fellowship can flourish between you and God. And far greater than an earthly father, our heavenly father knows whether or not our confession is heartfelt and genuine. And if it is, well, then, fellowship is not disrupted if the confession is swift and not prolonged in coming. But if the confession is denied and you don't embrace your sin, then fellowship will quickly deteriorate, not because God wants communion to cease, but because you're not pursuing peace with God. You see, loving fathers do not withhold fellowship. But when a son disobeys and refuses to own his or their disobedience, the son disrupts sweet fellowship. There must be some acknowledgment that wrong has been committed for the agreement between the father and son to be restored. The son must acknowledge to the father that he now agrees with him, and that is all confession is. Also, think about the condition of the child's heart before he confesses his wrongful actions to his father. Isn't his heart plagued with guilt so that he avoids the father? He disfellowships himself because of his own guilt. I cannot believe that a loving father desires the disfellowship that occurs with the disobedience of their children, no matter the gravity of the sin. It's the defiled conscience of the child that causes he or she to avoid the father. We see this all through the scriptures, but no better place in the Bible than when man sinned in the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they felt shame and embarrassment, and the effect was they tried to avoid God and hide from Him. I think the parable of the prodigal son tells us a great deal about our Heavenly Father's heart. The earthly father is a God imager, meaning he represents God in the parable. And what do we see? The father runs to greet his wayward son. But this is not normally how we think of God. That's not the natural view we have of God. Instead, we see him often as rigid and firm, seated upon his throne, waiting for us to come and acknowledge our guilt. But Jesus demonstrates the true nature of the father and his attitude toward the redeemed. The prodigal barely starts his confession when the father interrupts with orders to dress the son, put the ring on his finger, and commence the celebration. It seems the father doesn't even hear the confession because he's so excited to see his boy. Again, I think our confession of sin is more for our benefit than God's. I'm not suggesting in the least— that God acts towards us as if our sin doesn't matter. Oh, no, of course not. But rather I'm saying that His acceptance of us does not change. It has not and it will not. It is He who desires fellowship with us, and it's we who have disrupted and avoided fellowship through our sin. So in summary, your confession of sin doesn't put you into a right relationship with God because Justification has already done that. Your confession of your sin puts you back into enjoyable fellowship with the Father through Christ, because now you're walking in the same way God is going. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? It's not the Lord who's changed or become disagreeable, but it's us when we sin. And so, The problem is our conscience. It tells us that we have sinned, and the only remedy is the blood of Christ. It alone is sufficient to cleanse our minds and our hearts of our guilt, though all the time, all the meanwhile, all of our accounts with God are perfect. And for this reason, our Lord so instructed us to pray for our conscience' sake, forgive us this day our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, as we end this section of the first epistle to John, we can summarize John's point. If you want to maintain fellowship with God, you must keep your confession of sin up to date. Genuine confession is good for the soul because it allows you to live with God with a clean conscience and a pure heart, and it's the only way you can draw near to God with a pure conscience. As the writer of the Hebrews declares, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's no way. You can approach God in full assurance of faith that the conscience is screaming at you that you're guilty and soiled. But when you answer the conscience with a courageous confession and faith in the gospel of our blessed Savior, the raging conscience is silenced and you can now enjoy God's presence again. I pray this has been helpful and that you will keep your confession of sin up to date and Thereby answer the conscience complaint as soon as you sin, take ownership of it, agree with God, this and again in no way minimizes your sin, instead it magnifies the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship with God will continue as you walk in the light as he is in the light. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. please check out our newly updated website, realtruthmatters.com, for all our resources. And if you'd like to receive our monthly email newsletter, you can go to the website and sign up for it, or you can just simply send us your email address to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web, real truth, all one word, realtruthmatters.com. In the newsletter, we will update you and share what we've seen God do through the ministry, as well as give you our prayer needs so you can pray for us. We never ask for money, so you don't need to fear receiving appeals for giving from any of our communications. And if you would, please help us to get the word out that the podcast has resumed and share it with family and friends. This podcast is all about biblical spirituality, helping you to see how truth intersects with life, and it's the basis of experiencing fellowship with God. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening today, and may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.